Last week, we spoke to photographer Tamara Staples, who shared her love of cucks with us. This week, we wrap things up with what her books bring to the audience. Is she working on a new book? And her thoughts on animals as living beings and food. This and more on today's episode of the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. Meet Gina. Gina wanted to lose weight, so she spent two years fasting, detoxing, and dabbling with vegan diets while practicing a shit ton of yoga to lose 25 pounds, but it took so long that nobody noticed. Then, Gina started Frenching her food by eating fatty cheeses, butter, sausages, and red meat, and lost 15 more pounds in only two months. Everybody noticed this time. Frenching your food unlocks the riddle of weight loss that skinny French chicks use to slim down, look young, and live longer despite doing everything wrong. Be like Gina. Start Frenching your food today by visiting nutritionheretic.com forward slash Frenching. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. (laughs) It's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. So tell me the difference, um, you know, like why people would choose one of your books over the other, Ferris Fowl versus The Magnificent Chicken. What's What, what do they bring to the viewer? Well, the, the Ferris Fowl was my first book um, that came out in 1999. Yeah. No. 2001. Thank you. 2001. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to think back. Uh, yeah. The, the second one came out in 2013, but um, yeah, 2001. And that was the first one that I did, which was really exciting. And uh, oddly enough, another chicken book came out three weeks before mine um, and got a lot. It kind of stole my thunder. I was not happy about that. But, you know, it's one of those things that like no one has ever heard of this topic. And then all of a sudden there are two books, right. um, which were, was great. And then when I, um, after the, the first one came out, I was having a lot of shows and I do a lot of chicken things, um, selling prints and, you know, for magazines. And I'm a sort of an authority on, you know, pure bed poultry. And then I, I moved to New York during that time and I had a child and um, I was, I'm a commercial photographer, so I was doing a lot of commercial work, but I really wanted to do another topic and I really missed going to the poultry shows. Mm. In the first book, I was living in Chicago. And so my poultry shows were like in Wisconsin and Indiana and Illinois and, and Ohio. And I really enjoyed um going to those poultry shows and meeting those people and, um, and just seeing 
what kind of birds the Midwest was really into. And then um, after I had the baby, I decided that I wanted to get, I really wanted to do more. I felt like I wanted to do more with the chickens. I had grown immensely as a photographer. I kind of, you know, when I started doing the Ferris fowl, I really did not know how to shoot on location. I mean, it Mm. took forever to just, you know, I would bring the wrong equipment or I'd borrow a car and I'd break down. And, you know, it's just like I was really (laughs) trying to figure out how to go on location. Um, But then the second book, um, I was shooting digitally. That was the other thing. And the first book I was shooting with film. So I would shoot one roll. I shot with everything with my Hasselblad, which is square. Mm. And there's only 12 images on each roll of film. So I shot 12 12 images of each bird. Wow. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And in the second book, I had a digital Hasselblad. And so, you know, you could just shoot and shoot and shoot, which, you know, I didn't get that many more <laughs> so it's not as like, but I felt good about that um, and and that was really exciting because now I'm living in New York and I wasn't going to shows in New Jersey and Connecticut and in Boston and you know like just a different group of people and a different group of birds is sort of being able to compare and contrast and that was just cool and um, and with that you know so I I started taking two assistants with me and I took a van full of equipment and like 20 different backdrop choices that were different every single time. Right. You know? So I went a little bit more to the extreme and I had a really great time. I just mm-hmm. loved so much. So the, the, um, the magnificent chicken is a few of the images from the first book. So it's just a, you know, a more expanded version okay. and it's hardcover. So that's the difference is that I wanted to do something entirely different, but it's not quite where we got. In fact, one of the things that I did was um, I wanted to include portraits of the people, of the breeders, because it was so fascinating Mm. what these people did in terms of living their lives for these shows. And they were just such interesting people. And um, so I was, I spent, some time traveling around and going to people's farms and photographing them. And then when I got the book deal for the second book, they were not interested in the people. And I was so disappointed. So I ended up reaching out to um, a magazine called Backyard Poultry. And for about two years, I would write, and this was like a really interesting challenge. I would write articles about the people and they would feature, um, you know, uh, a section with um, the the portraits that I took and portraits that I did of their birds, along with a story of how they got into breeding chickens and, um, you know, and then would also give tips on, on their breed or special ways of, you know, dealing with the problem that Bumblefoot or whatever it was, like, you know, leaky gut or whatever birds <laughs> <have>. <laughs> leaky gut I don't know Um, so that was that was really fun for me and I got even further into like understanding um the uh the world of poultry right it is I mean it's uh, I find it fascinating because like so many things we take it for granted right it's just like I'm sure that when you first went to that poultry show with with your uncle that you know you're you're probably thinking what the 
uh, because yeah. to so many of us, especially we're about the same age, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. one, once upon a time, an apple was an apple, right? There were right. like, there were like maybe two kinds, right? <laughs> 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 you know, an orange was an orange. <laughs> There's, yeah. you know, and the chicken was a chicken. It was just like mm-hmm. one thing, right? Uh, and to find out that there's hundreds and hundreds of varieties, mm-hmm. yeah. um, I can totally see how somebody, anybody can get, uh, into something like this because, uh, just to illustrate, uh, when, before I became a nutritionist and when I was kind of loosely, just like most people, you know, kind of, you know, interested in, in food and, um, I am from New York and I would go to Chinatown for a lot of my shopping. And so sometimes I'd have a friend with me and usually somebody who didn't give a about whatever they ate, but they would walk through the Chinese markets with me and they'd be like, is that what, you know, whatever looks like, you know, is that what right. that fish looks like? Is that what that, you know, like what, oh, I, my I goodness. you know, I didn't know there were like 17 different types of starch you could use in cooking or right. <laughs> whatever. Um, and it really does, and and so like every time we would go to the Chinese market, it was like opening up this big world. I mean, for myself all the time, but you know, mm-hmm. for for some of my friends who really had no clue the variety wow. of food that was available, um, you know, right within their own city, no less. Uh, it really opened it up, so it became almost like a Sunday afternoon activity. You know, like going to the zoo or an aquarium or something to just mm-hmm. walk through Chinatown and, and identify things. So I can kind of see where this would be very similar mm-hmm. where you like, you know, take this kind of, you know, what most of us think of as kind of a banal, you know, experience of chicken, right? Just, you know, well, I'll just have the chicken, uh, <laughs> but uh, to realize that it, it, ex- it expands to, to its own culture. Well, you know, it's a, the, the, um, I think most people think of your white chicken, yes, right? Your leg that one. you put in the in the pot. But there's been a couple of ways that uh, that well, for instance, Martha Stewart made chickens very popular oh. through her magazine, yeah. and because she had her own um, variety of of um, chickens that were purebred, of course, and then she named some of her paint colors after right. some of the names of the chickens and. Which is maybe one of my favorite things about the poultry shows. I'm going to read you a couple of the names because these are so awesome. Like I was telling you about one of my favorite birds, the the modern game. Here's one that's the color is lemon blue modern game bantam pullet. Wow. Isn't that a great name? Old English creole bantam cockerel. Hmm. Now the pullet is under a year and the cockerel is under a year as well. Right. Um, blue Wheaton Old English Bantam Cock, Golden Seabright Bantam Cockerel, Belgian Bearded Deucal Milfleur Bantam Cock. <laughs> I mean, the names are Golden Campine Large Fowl Cockerel, Blue Cochin Bantam Pullet, Salmon Feverol, um, wow. the Dark Cornish, the Silver Dutch, the Partridge Wine Dot, the Silver Duckwing Aracana. Black Wyandotte, Dominique, uh, you know, it just is so mm-hmm. fascinating. I just love the names. The names the are almost romantic. It you really know? is. Yeah. But they have, they all have a, like a specific meaning. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, um, the white laced red Cornish large falcock. I will break it down for you. Um, white laced is the 
obviously the lacing is white, on, mm-hmm. it, but it's a red Cornish. It, the color of the, the, the body is red. Right. And then the Cornish is the, um, the breed. Mm-hmm. And then there's two types of chickens or birds in the, in the poultry shed. There's the large fowl and then there's the bantam. Right. And that's a difference in weight. And then cock. So it gives you the color, um, the breed, the size, and the sex, and the age of the sex, right? right. If it's a cockerel, it's a it's, younger. Um, younger. And if it's a cock, it's a it's the older bird. So it is in a certain order, which, right. you know, helps you to identify. There's a name for that kind of thing, isn't there? But I cannot think of what it is when you when there are specific names. Um, uh, is, is that that's not nomenclature, is it? I'm, I know I, that was the word I was thinking too, but maybe that's not it. I'm not sure. But I think another thing that's really interesting is that the French, and you probably know about this, they often, I mean, they're known for their their chicken. That's their that's their uh, the country. Isn't that the country bird or something? The um, it's the cock. It's uh, it's actually the country bird for a lot of countries. <laughs> oh, I did not know. Uh, that. Yeah, um, Portugal. <laughs> I want to say Japan uses it and some stuff. I know uh, the the crest of French royalty often had the cock on it. I thought it was um, the national bird, but I it may could be, be wrong. It, it, it entirely could be, but I I know like when I went to Portugal, there were cocks everywhere. Yeah, like I've I've seen that too. Yeah, um, yeah and uh, so it's oh, well, it's, it's it's all over the world. I mean, there, there's there's a use. There is a, I mean, this the the usage and the different ways in which every culture has incorporated chickens goes back thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's trade all, yep. and ritual. Um, but what I was going to say about French cooking is, um, is that, and you probably know this, but they they can even be as specific as using a certain age of a chicken mm-hmm. and a certain breed of a chicken for a specific dish. Yes, yes, there are definitely, and then there's you know, and then you get into. Um, uh, the castrated uh, yeah. <laughs> cocks, mm-hmm. you know, um, oh, why am I the drawing ca- a blank? K-pod. Yeah, K-pod. K-pod. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, there are um, some, like the, the breast chicken um, is one that is, you know, it's going to, it's going to cost you <laughs> to get right, a breast right. chicken. Um, but yeah, they, they really do get into that. And they're, uh, it's, yeah, they're, they're almost mythical after a while yes. you know some of the some of the dishes and it's like how do i track especially if you don't live in france like how do i track one of those down <laughs> but even mythical i mean be, you know beyond food you know some people use it in ritual mm-hmm. like religious rituals yeah. um there's like the the um there's one ritual and i cannot i this this might be israeli i don't know but they're like over a, a newly married couple's bed, like to wave a chicken over the bed, oh, like really? brings fertility. Um, there's just, I have, I actually read a book called the history of the chicken that was, um, that I did the cover for. And anyway, I'm drawing a blank on like 8 million different ways, but in through, through trade and, um, and food and religion. And it's, so many uses of the chicken. That's what I think I find most fascinating about where we are culturally now with right. the birds. Right. And it's, I mean, it's so universal. That's, you know, if, 
it's almost like if we wanted to really, you know, break human history down, I mean, we could talk about the dog, of course. <laughs> we could also talk <laughs> yeah. about the chicken because the yeah. chicken's been there, you know, and, and it's so symbolic throughout so many cultures from ancient Greece to modern mm-hmm. China and Japan. I mean, like in France and, you know, all these different cultures. Uh, yeah, there's so many things that you can go back to. Um, with that. So it's, uh, it's a very, you know, humble animal, but, um, I think it's, uh, maybe it's coming up on, on getting its due and getting its, its, uh, day in the limelight, right? Where <laughs> we're finally acknowledging, like, oh, you know, chickens have been with us, like, pretty much forever. <laughs> they really have. And we eat more chicken than any other meat by a long, long stretch, too. I, I think that's, that's more particular to the U.S., though, right? Is it really? I, I do believe so. I do believe that it's it's the number one meat in in America for sure. And what um, are the other what are what are other people eating? Beef. I, I it depends on where it is. Like Europe, um, I'm going to say uh, probably uh, beef is is more common in many countries in Europe. Uh, and it, again, that kind of d- depends on where you are. Beef, pork. Uh, you know, I would say the Germans probably eat more pork. Um, the Italians definitely. Well, maybe. And again, it can't be universal. Uh, but I'm also gauging a little bit by looking at cookbooks, you know, especially like older cookbooks from, from a right. lot of these mm-hmm. cultures. That and makes you, sense. you don't see a lot of variation on chicken necessarily, but you see a ton of beef like in, huh. <laughs> in Italy. Uh, a lot of Italian cookbooks, they'll have like, you know, pages of beef and rabbit and, you know, all these other meats and, you know, like maybe, you know, Four chicken recipes. I was like, really? You don't, you, you don't do anything beyond cacciatore? Like, <laughs> really? That's all you got? <laughs> um, but then you go to, uh, you know, Greece and uh, you might start seeing more lamb. Uh, all right. Fish. Uh-huh. And, you know, so it, I think it, it does vary depending on where you are. But I would say, like, probably, you know, with like North Africa through Southern Europe. Uh, and when I say Southern Europe, I'm thinking specifically about places like Greece. You probably see more of the, um, uh, you know, lamb and um, and maybe goat. Then you're going to, you know, the the Balkans. You might see uh, more of the mutton type stuff. Uh, I know the Brits hmm. love mutton, uh, but yeah, I think I think uh, the the chicken phenomenon, as far as like the the food that we eat, um, is I think that's a little bit or maybe even a lot heavier in the U.S. than it is in other parts of the world, uh, the huh. consumption of chicken. Um, and it's not that the other ones don't eat it. I just think that we eat disproportionately more, more right, <laughs> than, right. than other people. And it's probably because uh, you, you you, and I, before we got on here, we talked a little bit about cholesterol. Um, or I talked a lot. You listened. And <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot. <laughs> uh, but um, but in the 1970s um, was when they made the big chi- chicken push, you know, for everybody to, to switch over to chicken from beef. Um, that was that was a big turning point, I think, for our diet in the U.S. was um, in the 70s where they really started pushing chicken. And then they were like, oh, well, that's not good enough. Now it's got to be boneless, skinless. Okay, great. You know, and, yeah. <laughs> I live for the chicken skin. I know, right? I do. Oh, my God. It's so good. The nice and thing, crispy. Yeah, I got to tell you, though, when you eat a cock. The skin is like really thin and it rips very easily. <laughs> and I'm sure there's many people out there who would agree with me. Um, but you don't want to, you know, you don't want to beat up the, the, the cock skin. Uh, so 
But for flavor, you can't beat it. Oh, it's true. It's true. And that, and I think, you know, I was talking about, I was joking about Jamaicans. That's one of the reasons because the, it's, it's a flavorful, uh, bird. It's, a, it's, you know, it's more flavorful than the hen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so are you working any other, on any other, uh, chicken books? I just, um, not another book. Um, I just did a series of cameo portraits that National Geographic just um, put up on their website in March. Mm-hmm. And that was really exciting. That was a whole series. I'm off to doing other bodies of work. Um, there will definitely be chickens in my future. <laughs> I don't know how yet, but I do. I love the people. Yeah. They're good people. They're, it's a truly an American experience to go to the poultry shows. Well, see, now I want to go to a poultry show. I never thought of doing that. You, you know? really should. They have them in Hawaii, I'm sure of it. But it is really something special. Right. right. It's, a, it's, it's an American experience. It really is. And I, I, um, I enjoyed the people. I still have lof- lifelong friends from that um, experience. And I spent probably about 15 years going to poultry shows and photographing them and being in touch with people and, um, dealing with that. And I still show the chickens and, you know, they are published everywhere. Um, so yeah. And, and more importantly, I dream of the day that I'm in a situation where I can own my own chickens. Well, yeah, that's going to be kind of tough in New York City. But you know who yeah. does have chickens? And actually, you maybe you might even know her. Maybe you met her at a at a show. Uh, Isabella Rossellini out on Long oh, Island. Yeah, I did not know that. I just recently, uh, f- around the same time that I ran into you, I, I ran into an article about her. And she's got backyard chickens and she talks all about how she loves that. And I guess she grew up, you know, partially in Europe with, with some, some birds. And so now she, uh, you know, in between her Lancome shoots or whatever she, <laughs> she's doing, uh, she's, she's, uh, she's, de- she's digging in the dirt and getting down and dirty with the chickens. I love that. I, I feel like my future will definitely be out of the city. You know, I, yeah. I don't, I, I foresee moving to the country and having, I mean, I've never had a garden. Yeah. And I, I would, I dream of that. One right. day with some chickens and maybe even some goats. Ooh. <laughs> You're in for a treat. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, that's, that's the thing about modern life. And maybe this is, you know, maybe we'll bring it to a close so I can let you out of here. Uh, but uh, modern life, I think for a lot of people, because many of my recent interviews, we've talked about kind of the increases in suicides recently and anxiety and depression and uh you know all of all of the factors because you and i before the the this um, interview we talked about you know how cholesterol plays a role in those kinds of things and other nutritional um you know deficiencies that could uh play into that but when it comes down to it i think that what's what's happening also socially is that many of us are not finding a lot of meaning in whatever jobs we are told we should want because they make good money because, you know, whatever the excuse is, right? Uh And through an extension of that, through an extension of uh, mistrust of doctors and mistrust of food system, 
more and more people seem to be turning towards, you know, the, the homestead, having that, that little garden, having a couple of chickens, having a goat or a cow, um, you know, really connecting with something. I don't want to sound, this is going to sound a little trite, but awe-inspiring, you know, like mm-hmm. where you like yep. really see the action of nature and maybe start to make sense of some of the things that are going around us, right? Yeah. Uh, really add another dimension of, of things being meaningful uh, again in your life. And yeah. um, as a mom, I don't know if this happened to you, but when I first had my daughter, I was like, wow, this is what it means. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's like everything went from just me and my husband and, you know, we were having a good time or whatever, but there wasn't a lot of like meaning uh, to (laughs) to things Mm -hmm. in in a, in a way. And when we had our daughter, it was like, oh, like your, your perception of things like totally changes. Ah, it does. Right. And, and I, I think that, um, communing with animals and, um, and, and plants, uh, I'm actually a little bit more in awe of plants than I am of animals because um, that's another really just fascinating experience to, when you really understand how plants work and how uh, they respond and, and how closely their nutrition mirrors human nutrition. Yeah. Uh, you know, that is, and I'm not saying because, you know, plants are, are a good source of nutrition. I'm saying like when you feed a, a plant, you know, sour things, it's very similar to feeding a pregnant woman something sour is what right. I'm talking about. And, mm-hmm. um, and it really has you thinking on another level. So I really, I do believe that in the future, uh, farmers are going to be our, um, big money earners and rightfully so. Uh, and I'm talking about small farmers as people, you know, move away. And um, I think people are going to try to get back to bartering systems. Uh, oh, that would be lovely. Of, you know, like, oh, I raise chicken, you raise beef, let's do a trade. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, I think, there, I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. And I think that, um, you know, we're going to, we're, we're going to be forced to, to uh, be more civilized in that sense and more sharing and caring uh, and, and um, really getting down and getting our, getting our hands dirty. Mm, I want to live in that world, please. (laughs) Come to Hawaii. (laughs) I got a job for you. (laughs) Wow. That sounds dreamy. Well, uh, Tamara, is there anything you would like to uh, leave people with to uh, contemplate the next time they, (laughs) they're looking at a plate of chicken? (laughs) (laughs) Well, just know that a, a being gave its life for your meal and that that being had a personality and was quite beautiful when you eat your chicken. So I love the idea of, I think it's the Chinese who leave like part of the animal with the dish Mm. so that they can remember um, that, that I think we we're so far removed from when Mm. we bring, get our chicken and it's a lump of white meat, right? You know, like maybe, pluck a chicken or try to take its guts out or just like get a whole one and put the foot on the plate just to remember. I don't know. 
Right. Well, yeah, I, I have, uh, that's actually part of the reason why when my friend invited me to slaughter 50 cocks, uh, I said, okay, because yeah. I needed to understand from the ground up what the experience was and what the sacrifice was going into that food. Um, you know, the, the other way that I pay homage to these animals, um, any of them, because I, I eat a lot of protein, I, you know, I eat a lot of meat. Um, I've never been shy about that, uh, because my body requires it. You know, some people can get by with less. I seem to require a, a lot more. And, um, but I don't waste any of it. You know, we're, right. we're, we're a very, very wasteful society. About 30% of our food gets wasted. Um, oh. and often people are more willing to sacrifice the meat on the plate and toss that in the trash versus any of the other you know, foods or non-foods <laughs> that are on mm. the plate, right? Right. So, right. Um, you know, I save all my bones. I make bone broth out of those. And I've done this for 30 years now. Um, wow. You know, like before bone broth was a thing, I was like, oh, this just makes everything taste better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I was broke. So, you know, right. um, but yeah, you know, we use as much as you can. And, and now with my little farmstead, it's like nothing goes to waste because I can turn bones into, um, into, uh, I'm not gonna, for lack of a better term, I'm just gonna say fertilizers. It's not really a fertilizer, but mm -hmm. I can use it in my garden for, for various things, um, to, you know, um, the, the bones of, charred bones of animals are actually extremely good for toughening the skin of fruit. Hmm. Um, so, you know, thinking of the calcium and, and giving, um, giving it that, uh, that inoculation so that bees won't sting it or, you know, makes it harder for them to sting it at least. Uh, you know, these are things that, like I said, you know, all of this stuff comes full circle. So, um, you know, and you can always find a way and, and by the way, well, you know, that chickens are cannibals. Uh, <laughs> but you know, yes. a lot of times the, you know, the, the bone, I make stock and now those bones go out and the chickens pick everything off the bones. Then I can use them for my gardening. I mean, it's like, we're pretty much zero waste. Now, if only I could find a way to get stuff without plastic, <laughs> I know, right? you know, um, but everything else, it just all goes back into the earth one way or another. Wonderful. So, so I wish you luck in, in, um, finding your happy space and, and being Thank able you. to, uh, find your garden, uh, whether it's a community garden or, um, you go out to visit Isabella Rossellini <laughs> and <laughs> tell her that you're there for a photo shoot that she forgot to put on her calendar. Uh, <laughs> just, um, but yeah, I, I wish you luck and thank you so much for, uh, bringing us, uh, these beautiful chickens. Cause I've seen some of the photographs. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, and it's, it's more than just a coffee table book. No, it's a Thank real you. education. It's really, really, it's art. What you do is, is art. Um, and Thank there's you. no mistaking that. Thank you so much for your contribution. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our time. Same here. Bye. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey, LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean. And our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, The Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at the new and improved nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast. 
Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, 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 oh,